Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com, and I'm your host, Michael Fordham. If you've just clicked the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Oh, need a minute to get something to write with? But don't worry, I'll give the number again right after the commentary. Or if you like, you can Twitter me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. Phyllis Lerner is the Title IX Director of the Sankofa Project. As an educational consultant, she typically designs programs for teachers and administrators from preschool through graduate school, which have also been adapted for community groups, including parents, social services personnel, and business leaders. She was the instructional manager for resident teachers in Prince George's County, Maryland, and currently a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education with Johns Hopkins University. She also works with the Maryland PIRC, Parent Information Resource Center, developing and managing programs. Phyllis Lerner, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Michael, thank you for the warm introduction, and more importantly, thank you for having a program that intentionally targets the measure of truth. I think there are some things that my colleague and I will be able to share today that will hopefully tap into adults as well as young listeners. Yeah, and and it's very interesting because um, a lot of people don't know about this issue with Title IX. And um, go ahead and jump right into it and, and fill people in on why this is so important right now. Well, I have to start with a little bit of a history lesson. Uh, I'm going to take us back to 1972, the year that the law passed. And what I want people to do is, is check in with an older person or a grandparent and maybe follow up with them on these questions and ask them, what was life like for a young woman in the United States at that time? Was she able to take any course she wanted to take? Did she have a chance to participate in athletics or sports? Did people kind of put her down and pay a lot more attention to her appearance than her academic abilities in fields like science or math? 
And was she able to run for student government office or uh, let alone run around the track? So before 1972, for most of the young women in this country, whether they were from entitled or even poor families and across all communities of color, the life of a young girl was pretty different than her brother. But this law passed and quietly slipped into the public school systems and universities without a lot of havoc until people started figuring out what these regulations were about. At that time, for example, if a young girl was pregnant or sometimes even a teacher was pregnant, she wasn't able to be on faculty in a school because we thought that was a bad message for kids to see. But mm. today, because of this law, not only does that teacher get to continue to be the educator she's been trained to be, but that young woman gets to have the same academic opportunity and pregnancy would not be considered uh, a dis-ease. But what we want to focus on a little bit tonight, I hope, is the issue of athletics. And for most of us, that begins in childhood, running around and playing with balls that we have a chance to kick and bounce and, and toss. And uh, as time passes... If kids are gifted and they've had a lot of opportunity to learn, one of the greatest things we have for young people is after-school sports and athletics, whether they're playing for fun recreationally or whether they're involved in varsity teams at their high school or leagues in the community. Well, until this law passed, probably one in seven girls were looking at playing and being involved in sports. But since this law, we've had a huge influx of programs. And today, most parents would say they want this for their daughters as well as their sons. And tell now, us a little bit about, before we go any further, what does the law say, since you've mentioned that? You know, the law is so simple. I think it's I think it's only 37 words, although I haven't counted in a while. And basically it just says that based on gender, no public serving institution may discriminate against students and faculty and others associated with the school. Sports is only one part of this law. And it does impact hiring and courses and curriculum and opportunities across the school community. And the one that most people are familiar with is the point about athletics, in part because we've all seen such changes in colleges and universities that are now required to have a comparable number of males and females involved in sports that they have in their student campus community. They need to provide scholarships for females and males at a proportional rate. They can't provide brand new uniforms for the boys track team and expect the girls team to kind of, you know, grab whatever shorts and t-shirts and shoes they can find. So it's about equitable opportunity across the spectrum. That's something we know about in high schools because, and colleges because we kind of see it more visibly. It's also important, though, to know that most of us can't suddenly wake up as 17-year-olds and become athletes. We have to have opportunities to learn in physical education and in programs that are part of our childhoods. And if we haven't had those chances because of budget cuts in schools, it's going to be really hard to provide equitable opportunity at high school athletics. Mm -hmm. And probably the other point I'd want to make uh, is that what counts a lot is not just what parents do privately with their own children and what schools provide, but what level of advocacy parents can provide beyond the school when the school is not or the district is not doing its job. And that's how I got involved with the Sankofa Project. They are a marvelous group of parent advocates in the District of Columbia Public Schools who started noticing the disparities between boys and girls' athletics and that when girls didn't even have a chance to be on a team, their chance to get a college scholarship as gifted athletes 
was actually zero. Mm -hmm. So it's because of the founder and executive director, Janice Dove Johnson, that I became involved in working with what I would call my local neighborhood best parent advocacy group. And now I'd want to invite Janice to come in and talk a little bit about the Sankofa Project in particular. And Janice Johnson, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Well, thank you, Michael, and thank you, Phyllis. I am very excited about this opportunity to share with you. Um, I'm just a passionate parent and um, realized that something was amiss relative to the kids having access to the same resources that the boys did. Mm -hmm. The Sankofa Project started off as a pilot project, and we decided that a group of parents would take their children over to H.D. Woodson and nurture them for four years, watch them, and make sure that all the needs were met because all we were hearing is that there were no funds in the budget for uh, female sports. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get the teams to where the the scouts are, your chances of being offered a scholarship are very, very slim. And um, in, that was, what, in 2004. And we worked very diligently making sure that our kids had study hall and that we had academic outcomes that would ensure good uh, SAT scores. And we were able to produce... Um, each senior class had each one of the students in the class of the team were able to get college scholarships. Um, most were athletic, but there were several that were academic uh, scholarships. So we figured if it works at Woodson, let's do it across the spectrum. We were invited in 2007 to survey the schools because we believed that you know it was the same. What was at Woodson was at every school in the district, and. Uh, Department of Athletics retained us to come in and just do an assessment. And based on that, we found that there were no schools that were in compliance Hmm. in athletics for Title IX. And fortunately, learning from Phyllis, um, we found that being out of compliance was a, a simple issue. It was that the percentage of boys participating in sports should be relative to the percentage of girls, or vice versa. There should be as many girls participating percentage-wise as with the boys. And so that's an easy fix. If we can get more girls to participate in sports, to be interested in sports, then we could bring the schools quickly into compliance. So fortunately, we were able to partner with Marcus Ellis, who's the director of athletics for um, D.C. public school system. And uh, we've come up with some programs that we call prong two programs to help bring uh, D.C. public schools into compliance and cause us to leave less resources on the table. Now, you're talking about something that's very interesting because it's not just about getting these young ladies um, involved in sports and athletics just because they should be moving about and they should be, you know, physically into something at those age groups. But Mm -hmm. this is more about the opportunities that are presented based on them having the exposure to these athletics. And and it seems to me to get the interest up, you have to start at at the lower grade. So where does this program really start? Well, we are reaching down, now that we've partnered with Marcus Ellis and uh, Department of Athletics, we are reaching down to the fourth grade. Our Mm -hmm. primary focus for this year is the middle school students, but we know that high school is too late um, to begin to inspire people to participate in sports and have a a, a realistic anticipation of getting um, a scholarship. But in athletics, there are scholarships, they're so varied, um, Howard University, for one, has one for bowling. Mm. Um, there, and there's not only just Division One programs. There, there are junior college programs where everybody, if they had the information, could prepare themselves to be qualified to have their college education paid for. Mm. And as if a college scholarship wasn't enough to have in front of you to make life worthwhile. Uh, Certainly one of the things all three of us know is that for young women who are involved in sports, we know that they have, as a rule, 
higher academic grade point averages, not mm-hmm. just in high school but across their college careers. They manage time better. They're less prone to do at-risk behaviors, including mm-hmm. teen pregnancy issues. In fact, I heard a coach once say that sports are even better than condoms, and her goal is to just poop her kids out so all they can do is go home, study, and shower. <laughs> that, that, was, that was her way to keep things happening. Oh, um, we also know that kids involved in sports are less often involved in drugs and drinking, mm-hmm. and that the coach as mentor and the rest of the faculty seem to know who they are so the it takes a village keeps an eye out on these kids, and they keep an eye on each other. Yeah. We, and finally, this was one we just, you know, we can't avoid it today, the issues of teen obesity mm-hmm. and the consequences in later life, which is now sooner, diabetes and the other issues related to weight, are so devastating. And if we don't get these kids moving sooner, um they're not just going to miss college scholarships. They're going to miss a whole sense of well-being and success in their lives. Absolutely. Yeah, so this is all about opportunity, and it's all about, too, a realization of, you know, where our society is going right now and um, how sedentary um, our young people have become. So um, um, I I see how important this is, but this is a law. So how – are you going about using the law to be able to get these schools back in compliance? How is that working? Oh, Janice, take that one. Janice is laughing, and I hope the audience picks up on that cue. I'm sorry. That was involuntary. I didn't mean to do that. Um, well, fortunately, we we are working with the National Women's Law Center, and uh, they are the organization that – from my understanding, bring um, legal action against school districts that are out of compliance. And because we're working together, they decided that they'd give us a little break and allow us an opportunity to come up with some creativity with the D.C. public school system and see how we could uh, raise the awareness, increase uh, compliance. So we came up with this idea of the National Title IX Holiday Invitational Conference and Classic. Um, what happens is they're champions in these high schools from California to the Carolinas that go unnoticed because there's not much interest paid to female sports. Hmm. So as we began to canvas these uh, schools and talk to the coaches and tell them, hey, Title IX is supposed to allow the same fanfare for your uh, female champions as the football stars. And they said, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so last year we were able to have the number one team in the nation. Well, Phyllis and I decided that the best tool that we had was positive peer pressure. And by bringing teams to the district so that our kids could see um, little girls that looked like themselves who had skill sets um, that they developed over the years, they you know they weren't born as uh, ball heads or gym rats, but they learned. They were trained and developed by their coaches. And uh, so, la- uh, what was that? In '09, we had our first Title IX conference and classic, and uh, our keynote speaker Phyllis was able to bring in Renee Brown, who is the uh, director of player relations for the uh, for the. National Women's Basketball Association, yeah. WNBA. So she set the ball rolling because she began to tell them of the importance of um, academic achievement, you know, because you basketball is the tool, the vehicle to get you the college scholarship, but you have to have a plan. You have to have a career path, mm-hmm. and then you can have a successful outcome. Right. Um, last year... Uh, we had the honor and the privilege of having Ruslan Ali as our keynote speaker. Oh. And she is a director of um, the Office of Civil Rights under the United States Department of Education. And oddly enough, her responsibility is Title IX enforcement. Hmm. <laughs> so in addition to... Uh, Funny how to these Janice's, things come together. Yeah, yeah well... <laughs> 
what is exciting on one hand is that it can come together with adults pushing, pulling, and trying to make a difference for kids, and that's what we're doing with mm-hmm. Marcus and with the National Women's Law Center. But that's not the only way to make it happen, and I want to make sure that listeners understand that if they are students in a public school, they are entitled to have equitable rights, and they may file a grievance to serve themselves. Otherwise, this isn't something it often doesn't happen at the district level, Michael. It happens because a young student or a coach files a grievance with the Office for Civil Rights, which anyone can do online, and that agency is responsible for responding. Mm. Often then, a school or a district, to avoid a lawsuit, will finally sit down and examine the issues, However, some cases have even gone as far as the Supreme Court, and so far every case in the United States since the passage of the law has supported Title IX. Many states even have their own laws to ensure that the equitable opportunities are there. Our concern is that too many people are pushing the law aside Mm-hmm. And we have lost generations and generations of girls while not enough is happening. So so our, our humor and laughter um, is sometimes couching some real frustration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have been working with the city council in D.C., trying to get them to take responsibility as legislatures to act on behalf of the student population. We also know that budgets in schools are devastated right now and that programs like music and art and sports look unimportant to too many people. But for those of us that have been in school, and I know you have a musical background, as does the daughter in your life, uh, we know that if they don't have those things, they will leave school not just academically undernourished, but almost empty in their souls and spirits. And that's what we're worried about, that that for all the chatter that the adults are doing, we're losing these kids time and time again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a very good point. And this is something we really need to concern ourselves with as well, because our, our young people are so impressionable and um we they deserve all the opportunities that we can put in front of them and um if we don't provide it it's really our our fault uh, we are to blame and um i i, I want to know how it is that um and this is a national issue even though you guys are doing something here but this is something you're talking about these laws apply across the nation correct absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah. Now, and as a federal law, it would even supersede what happens locally. Right. So schools don't have an option to opt out, per se. Mm-hmm. If a person feels that they are not being given an opportunity in their school systems, um, what is their direct path? What's the first step they should take? Every school, by federal law, is required to have a Title IX coordinator or officer, Mm -hmm. and that person is to be identified, so it it shouldn't require a a CIA investigation to find out who that person is, and they are then entitled to approach that person, discuss their concerns about the law, and if necessary, be supported for filing a grievance. One of the interesting things is that at the moment a person, whether they're a coach or a teacher, or a school principal, or a parent, or a student, at the moment they choose to file that grievance, they are protected as well Mm. by the law. So they can't be harassed uh, overtly or otherwise. So if a coach says, this isn't fair, the boys' basketball team gets to play in the big gym, and my girls' team has to go play in an auditorium with a linoleum floor and a and a hoop that's kind of hanging above the clock, and there's no space behind it. Can you picture that, or am I yeah. am I yeah. too old in this conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, so if the girls are practicing on the cafeteria floor, and the boys always have the gym, and the coach 
approaches the Title IX officer or coordinator from the district and doesn't get a positive response, then he or she has the right to move forward and they will be protected. There have been cases where that coach was then terminated or uh, given less opportunity, otherwise, as if practicing in the cafeteria was bad enough, we won't even let you do that two nights a week. And when that happens, again, these create legal precedents that support the provisions and the precedents set up in the law. So, you know, the law is on our side. Mm-hmm. And even with that, though, um, knowing the consequences, how how did um, our young girls fall through the cracks with this law being in place? How are we at the point we are now with D.C. schools and having them all non-compliant for okay. Title IX? Michael, your program is called A Measure of Truth. <laughs> so I have to be really honest with you. You just said, even though they know the consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the truth part. There has not been one case in the United States of a school district that has lost funding as a result of noncompliance with this law. Hmm. Hmm. What is the penalty? I, I don't understand. It's a, it's a broken process, but I need to understand how the parts are not working as they were intended. Who? What we say is that there are regulations, but they have no teeth. So that means that while we have proceeded as advocates in D.C. public schools, and we know even across the United States, the National Women's Law Center has filed 11 cases recently with Mm -hmm. the Office for Civil Rights, we have rarely seen um, a case proceed through the court systems. Usually, and quite frankly, gratefully, a school district, once the attention is brought to the media or a more public forum, you know, like the beginning of this radio show, that people will then do what they need to do to be fair to all kids. Mm. But it's like, think of it this way, it's like, it's like the law is a shark, but the teeth aren't there. Mm. Gratefully, with this administration, the presidential administration, we have a reactivation of commitment through Ruslan Ali and other colleagues to make enforcement of the law viable. But we're also in this devastating budget system mm-hmm. where the concept of you know building a whole new softball field because the girls are are playing on a, a a mud flat with gopher holes just doesn't even seem possible. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's a lousy answer to your question. <laughs> but I think. Yeah, but it's honest and it's real. And we, we really, for people to understand how they could um, play a role or, you know, make an impact, they have to really know what the situation is. Otherwise, mm-hmm. these things are glossed over and people start on the things that they feel should be attended to that looks good to them, but the the root of the matter is never addressed. So we we really have to look at this for what it is. Yep. And as we've seen the laws, uh, as we've seen time pass since 1972, one of the great concerns that many of us have is that the law in general has worked very well for entitled and often Mm. white dominant culture females. We've seen great attention to the caliber of um, sports in colleges and universities and and certainly for the United States in the Olympics. But for children who don't have access and opportunity as young kids or whose parents aren't driving them to soccer events on the weekends and uh, buying them tennis equipment and playing with them, the disparity is getting greater. Yes. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about um, Sankofa Project and and what it entails and what it actually does to address the need. Well, the Sankofa Project, the name is from an African word from the Akon tribe, and it basically means that it's not taboo to fetch that which is at risk of being left behind. 
which to us is our female students. So um, what we've done is try to get the information out into the community. The thing that helped me to save my daughters was that somebody came to me and introduced the AAU concept. And so they began to play sports in elementary school. Um, all of my children are products of D.C. public school system. And uh, my two old, um, younger daughters have um, have played from elementary, middle, and high school. And But it was because the information was brought to me, and then I was able to seek and pursue the opportunity. So one of the things we strive to do is get the information out into the community. The mm-hmm. scriptures say, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So um, we're working now with the Brat Music uh, Studio in producing public service announcements um, where we have uh, Marcus Ellis, we have some council members, we have some some female uh, dignitaries who played basketball in high school and college. And they're sharing their stories and encouraging um, uh, D.C. parents to be more aware and mm-hmm. Part of what we're doing is using it to highlight the accomplishments of some of our female athletes, not just the athletic accomplishments, but the academic. Because mm-hmm. we found that many of our girls right here in the District of Columbia, they may be champions on the court, but when it's time to take that SAT or when it's time to um, total up the GPA, they fall, they fall short. And for the past... Since 2008, every year, resources have been left on the table. Even though these female students have signed national letters of intent with colleges for a full college scholarship athletically, many of them weren't able to accept them because they couldn't demonstrate eligibility. Right. When when many when a lot of those um, teachers were laid off. They laid off um, science teachers and math teachers and reassigned our students to uh, classes like ROTC and and things that were not on the list of the NCAA as a core course requirement. Wow. So without those courses, um, they, they were not eligible to accept those scholarships. And um, I recently had an exchange with um, Kaya Henderson, um, the chancellor of D.C. Public Schools, and she kind of just shared with me in in being honest that she didn't realize the connection between athletics Mm -hmm. and the academic piece. So it's just that a lot of information has fallen through the cracks. D.C. has been exposed to a lot of challenges. But the fix this is easy. It just requires getting the information out and people like you being willing to share the information and become proactive in in coming up with effective solutions. We think positive peer pressure is is one way. Mm-hmm. We are glad that we've partnered with Ruslan Ali and she says any anybody with a a feeling of unfairness just let her know and she'll be eager to investigate. But she's being proactive as well because she said she's going to address the slippage that's a, in, in Title IX compliance that's happening across the nation. It's not just a D.C. problem. We found as we've had our teams come from all over the nation in December to our conference and our basketball classic, they share the same stories that we're, that we're telling in, the, in D.C., with the exception, of course, of the super-duper private schools like uh, Modern Day, who is number one in the nation again this year, um, most of the public schools have have challenges. Hmm. Now, let me ask a question. This is very confusing to me. I'm still getting back to the law, and, and I'm trying to understand how this thing can work because we can't just keep the ball rolling the way it is and expect just by people crying out that it's going to work because the law itself should have some type of oversight. What What happened to that? I don't understand. Phyllis? Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, so it either takes an individual case, a young child, a coach, an individual story to go literally all the way to the Supreme Court or an agreement by the district itself 
with, for example, a letter of compliance with a group like the National Women's Law Center where they co-create a policy and practice of change. So a couple of years ago in a local Prince George's County public school district, there was a problem of incredible inequity in field use. There was no place for girls to play softball. The boys had not only baseball fields, but they had lights. The girls sometimes had to be driven to poor quality elementary schools, other places to play, and you know what? If it got dark or rained, the game was canceled. So the boys were out there with the lights and, you know, family sitting in bleachers, and the girls were, uh, well, I'd like to believe they're home doing their schoolwork. In any case, what happened is the National Women's Law Center contacted the district administrators. They filed a grievance eventually to avoid a lawsuit, Everybody came together, and they developed a three-year plan of action. And as far as I understand now, Prince George's County has now resolved those issues and would be considered in compliance with the federal law. But mm. that's the kind of effort it takes. Mm -hmm. And in 2009, we met with um, Council Member Michael Brown and then Council Chair Vincent Gray and participated with the National Women's Law Center in drafting what we call the Title DC Title IX Law of 2009. Um, we had great expectations that the law would be a law today, but it's still in committee. And um, I'm thinking that it will probably have to be reintroduced but it's because so many people, like you said, are confused about what Title IX really is. Um, recently I heard a council member say that um, he wanted them to include females at, at the boxing administration. They needed to have more girls boxing. And uh, I explained to him that Title IX is in schools, and it's a, a school base. This is a a civil rights issue, gender mm -hmm. equity, you mm -hmm. know, and people push back at it because they think it's designed to take away from boys. But if you come with a strategic approach in your in your plan, in your corrective action plan, as Marcus Ellis has, is, has done for D.C. public schools, then you can um, – Corrected, and the easiest correction is make more opportunities for girls to participate. The easiest correction is to get the information out and the interest level raised, and then you can create a level of parity. Right, Phyllis? Absolutely. <laughs> and one of the things we know is that um, you can't fault it all because of money, nor can you resolve it all with money. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, um, well, the reason football gets all the money they get is because they're revenue producing, mm -hmm. that people come in and what we know in the research is that in universities only 10% of college football programs are in fact revenue producing. So people end up faulting Title IX and mm -hmm. blaming females for the cuts that have occasionally, and I want to say that word again, occasionally happened to men's sports where gymnastics or wrestling or swimming have been eliminated in some colleges. What we know is that if universities better monitored their use of funds, mm -hmm. some of the obscene costs that some teams get, and I believe I read in a note that uh, San Diego's football budget included a couple of million dollars for uh, accommodations and hotel rooms and travel, things like that, if, mm. if everybody pared back a little bit, it's amazing what opportunities could be created for girls and retained for boys. Mm -hmm. And that's um, so it was never Title IX's intention that the opportunities for girls would cause a decrease in male sports. What we did ask is for schools to look at their programs across the spectrum instead of just keeping what was there and then kind of trying to fill in. And 
I think one of the ways I like to look at it is imagine if two people uh, are creating a family, and they happen to have a son first, and that son happens to be a gifted, precocious, talented, academically brilliant athlete. And because of his skill, he gets a lot of chance to play soccer. Time passes, and the family decides to have another child. And, oh, my gosh, this one happens to be a girl. Would you turn around to that girl and say, I'm sorry, we're busy with your brother, and all of our focus, energy, uniforms, coaching, and playing time is going to him, and because you just showed up, we're going to kind of allow you to become a spectator? I don't think too many families would, as they hear the story that way, agree that that's viable, let alone fair. Hmm. Absolutely. And um, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, your organization, what you guys plan on doing, your events that you have coming up, and um, find out where people can find out a little bit more about what you're doing as well. And we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about Young Lives DC 34. Young Lives is a unique, cutting-edge, nonprofit Christian organization designed to empower and equip pregnant and parenting teen moms to become productive citizens in the community, a program that partners teens and mature Christian women to provide teen girls in crisis with timely encouragement, guidance, and ongoing support. Through the power of presence, Kids and teens' lives are dramatically impacted when caring adults come alongside them, sharing God's love. Because someone believes in them, they begin to see that their lives have great worth, meaning, and purpose. This is just the first step in a lifelong journey. The choices they make today, based on God's love for them, will impact their future decisions, the careers they choose, the marriages they form, and the families they raise. And all of this can be traced back to the time when a young life leader reached out and entered their world. For more information or to get involved, check out their webpage at www.younglives.younglife.org. Or if you're in the D.C. metropolitan area, call 202-399-7017. Welcome back, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And we're talking about Title IX and how it impacts our young girls and young ladies. Welcome back, Janice and Phyllis. Thank you. Thank you. Now, um, we want to talk a little bit about how people can get involved, how they can find out what you're doing, stay in contact with you, and find out the events that you guys have up and coming. Well, we have a web page, www.sankofaproject.org, and we keep it updated. Um, most of our events that we have had are there, and uh, those that are coming are also there. Um, the biggest thing is that we have our national uh, Title IX conference and classic every year during the winter break. That's December 27th through the 30th. Uh, with the conference being the 27th, that's Phyllis's big piece, where all that meat about Title IX is shared with uh, organizations, individuals, parents, teachers, coaches, and players from across the nation. We Our program has gained tremendous respect um, everywhere but in the District of Columbia, and uh, which we are not really clear <laughs> on why it's that case, but... Um, <laughs> The the conference in Classic uh, last year, which was our second year, was ranked uh, number seven in the nation. And I was told mm. by one of the coaches who was checking us out before accepting our invitation to participate in the Classic this year that we are now number three. Um, we were number seven, uh, which was two two spots below the Nike tournament that everybody covets in uh, Arizona. Wow. Yeah, and so for our first time out the gate, I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. So we're we're hoping to get more support from the District of Columbia. Last year we did what we did with very little promotion, very little advertising. We're starting early this year. Um, so we're hopeful that 
more and more people will will get the message. We're working with the Washington Convention and Sports Authority. Eric Moses has promised to help us spread the word, and um, we're just looking forward to that, which is an annual event. But this summer we're working with a, a D.C. Um, public school system with Marcus Ellis through the Mayor Summer Youth Program. And as I shared with you earlier, one of the things um, – that happens is our female students, for the most part, well, all of our students really, um, are challenged when it comes to passing the SAT. Some have the information, they just don't test well. Um, and others just didn't pay attention in class because they could skate through. But when it's time to sit and take the test, you have to have the score to be eligible to accept the scholarship. So um, we've come up with a program that will encourage them to be more interested in math and science. and But we've used the hook of music and media. Mm. So we've partnered with um, the Brat Studio. Yeah, and Brat Studios. <laughs> the hottest studios in D.C. Uh, you know, I try to make it out to as many events as they host as possible. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. then we're going to find you. And yeah. hopefully you're going to find the Sankofa swag, which is... Uh, oh, well, Check this one out. The swag stands for Sisters with Awesome Grades and Game. Yes, yes. <laughs> awesome. And that's awesome. been the goal, Michael, and that's what distinguishes our basketball tournament during December from any of the ones around the country, meaning we're bringing kids from all over. They're having the chance to play basketball with each other uh, at a local college, and that's pretty special stuff. But we don't stop there. Because you don't bring young women to the capital of the United States where some of the most educated and accomplished females live and work and don't set them up to understand what their future could be. So we actually wrapped a conference of learning and interactive group leadership skills in between the tournament games. And we even took a walk to the capital of the United States and I'm going to tell you a true story, again, because those are the easiest ones to remember and really highlight the title of your show. Uh, a few years ago when we had some girls come in for a basketball tournament, I heard that they went to the mall. And being a local person, I thought that meant the mall downtown, that you know that big space with the White House on one end and the Capitol on the other. And I found out that I was wrong. They went to the shopping mall. Hmm. So we decided we're not going to let that happen again, not on our watch. Mm -hmm. And it was our goal to make sure that the kids and their parents and coaches really understood that what they do on and off the court is what matters to all of us. So that's what really is allowing this conference to become the classic tournament at the high level that Janice has shared with you. So mm -hmm. I do want to encourage people to go on the website. They can find uh, stories from the kids and from our keynote speakers and a lot of smiling people having a really good time and learning a lot as well. Yeah, give us the date of the tournament. Next year, 2011, Janice? This year, 2011. Oh, my gosh, it's this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This year, it's always December 27th through the 30th. That's when all the kids okay. across the nation are out for a Christmas break or winter break. So um, our goal is to make sure that when um, young ladies are out of school, there's something positive that we can engage them in. And we send invitations out to championship teams across the nation, and they come to the nation's capital as our guest. If they can get here... The four days is on us. Hmm. So uh, we need some financial support to help make sure that we can feed and transport all of these teams. But um, we're starting early so that we shouldn't have any problems with that. Hmm. And uh, and we want people to ask the right tough questions, like mm -hmm. when there's $100,000 going uh, to urban schools, D.C. in particular, to fund a football tournament, during Thanksgiving, can't we get some money for girls? Right. That's the question that we need asked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and um, 
Janice, when you get something from Brand Studios, a PSA producer, whatever, um, please let me know and um, shoot it to me, and I'll be happy to play that as well as I do, you know, the PSAs that I do for other um, nonprofits and grassroots sure. organizations. Sure. Yeah. yeah, we would love to do that. We should have something soon. Okay, um, very good. Very good. And um, Phyllis, say swag again. Swag, yes. Sisters with awesome grades and game. Can't you just can't you just picture that? Okay, I was not ready for that boy. I had to hold my I had to hold my mouth the first time, so I, I just wanted to go ahead and let that laugh out. Oh, okay, then I think I think the radio listeners are gonna have to wait for the video clips, I promise. Oh right. Yeah, but it's okay. awesome. And also, Phyllis, I uh, I saw a, a YouTube video too that um, you know young people love YouTube, and um, you were doing um, a, a little dissertation about Title IX as well. Is, is there a certain title to that that people can um, search and find that by? They will be able to find it on the Sankofa Project website. Mm, okay. And I also want to direct people to the Women's Sports Foundation website, which has extraordinary resources for young women athletes and their parents and their teachers, and that's at the womensportsfoundation.org. Um, I had the opportunity to work for them, so I know how good those materials are. And they, too, are absolutely committed, frankly, globally. Um, they call themselves the largest women's sports team in the world because mm. they care. They know that what's happening for girls in this country is is creating that running path for the rest of the girls, mm -hmm. and we don't want them to be too far behind. So we know that globally one of the greatest ways to get girls out of the endemic poverty that surrounds their lives is to get them involved in athletics and get them going to school. And so organizations like ours and, and groups all over, incredible nonprofits in the faith-based and, and communities uh, are just doing great things, but it's not institutionalized anywhere in the world as much as it is here in the United States with the opportunities that Title IX affords. Now we just have to get the teeth back in the shark's mouth. Right. <laughs> and the other thing, Michael, there if if your listeners will Google INTHIC, um, which is the acronym for the National Title IX Holiday Invitational Conference and Classic, N T H I Okay. N T H I C C. Um, they'll pull up a whole bunch of resources of the things that we have done, are doing and plan to do. Awesome. That's great. And um but we definitely wanna, you know, keep up with what you guys got going on, any challenges you're facing, um, any events that you're um hosting as well. We we definitely want to support um by not only um, you know, putting the word out but also showing up and um if there's anything that I can do to help, um please uh, don't be shy, uh, don't be afraid to ask. Um if I can do it, I will. Wow, you heard that, that is really I know, but just what you said, don't be shy. One mm -hmm. of the things that Janice and I have to teach young women is this is not a chance to be shy. Mm -hmm. We have to be assertive and we have to ask for what we know is ours. People women did not they did not get the vote. They went after the vote. Mm -hmm. And it's time for um, our young women to stand up with us, and, and they will not be alone. We can promise that. Oh, that's very good. Well, uh, you know, I just want to thank you, too, um, Phyllis and Janice, for your dedication to this cause. And, um, you know, if not for you, I wouldn't know. If I had not have met um, Janice at Brad Studios and found out about this issue with Title IX, I would have never known about it. So, mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure there are lots of people out there who feel the same. It's just one of those things that kind of got swept under the rug and no one knew about it. But once we bring about awareness and people understand how important this issue is, I'm sure that we can um, keep the um, the light on this particular issue and help people to see yeah. what it is. 
Well, we say that the achievement gap is the civil rights issue of our generation, and I mm. would have to say that the achievement gap includes issues of Title IX, and athletics is right in there. Mm. Well, very good. Well, I want to thank you ladies again, and we will be in contact, and um, hopefully you already have my contact information as well, yes, Phyllis, we and um, um, feel free to contact me, and um, let's keep in contact. And if you're on Facebook, please friend me. And um, I promise we'll be friends. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I look forward to um, seeing you again, Janice, and meeting you, Phyllis, in the near future. Very Absolutely. good. And uh, do something athletic in the next couple of days, Michael, okay? Oh, me? Always. <laughs> and then bring your daughter and some other women along, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Michael Fordham, host of A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I want to take a moment to talk to you about a heinous crime against humanity that plagues our nation. And yes, believe it or not, communities just like yours. Here's something you can do today to lend your support in the fight against human trafficking, also known as modern slavery. For example, Tanya was only 11 when she was forced to use her body for her own survival and the perverse desires of others. Now 18, Tanya knows no other life. She can't even remember when she was able to choose how she wanted to dress. Tanya dreams of being a teacher one day, and with the help of Bridge to Freedom programs and your support, they can empower her and others like her to move from surviving to thriving. You can make a huge difference in the life of a survivor this year through your support and donations to Bridge to Freedom Foundation. Bridge to Freedom is a nonprofit organization that provides aid to survivors of slavery who now live in the U.S., such as former child soldiers and victims of sex trafficking and forced labor. The cornerstone of Bridge to Freedom's work is personal and professional development to help survivors adapt and thrive in their new lives and communities and find work to support themselves. The Bridge to Freedom Foundation needs your support to help people just like Tanya. They need your urgent action to ensure that they can continue to provide clothing and health and beauty services to these survivors. These are not only important for rebuilding self-esteem, but are crucial to finding employment. They're also in great need of storage containers and clothing racks to organize and store donations. While donations of needed items are vital, one sure thing that will help to stop the spread of this injustice and prevent it from thriving undetected is educating yourselves about human trafficking or slavery and knowing the signs and the proper authorities to contact if you become aware of a victim in crisis. Find out more at bridgetofreedomfoundation.org or if you have a reason to suspect that someone may be a victim of human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center hotline on 1-888-373-7888. Multilingual call specialists are on standby 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. All calls are confidential. Well, guys, we've come to the end of another show. Thanks for tuning in, and special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman. I'm Michael Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth. But before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation, good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thought. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions, they become your habits. And watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.
Station right here. 